Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to the, tonight's program. It's, a, it's an interesting one tonight, and it starts off with uh, common sense. Uh, one of my favorite uh, sayings is from Alexander Pope. Words are like leaves and where they most abound, much fruit of common sense is rarely found. Well, in this case, uh, we have with us Ken Tanner, who's written an interesting book about common sense, and we, uh, we asked him on the program. Ken, are you there? I am here. How are you this evening? Well, I'm much better now that we got into the program. Um, We've had some little glitches here and there, but we're definitely going to make this an interesting program. As we ask all our guests, Ken, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Let me tell you a little bit about my uh, journey, which has not been kind of typical for a baby boomer. But uh, I started my business career in the back end of a pizza hut washing dishes while going to college. And after a year or so, I became the youngest manager Pizza Hut has ever had. I started a 20-year career in the food business where I uh, ran uh, restaurants, owned owned inner theater for a while. Uh, It ended up with me uh, running a regional vice president with companies like Taco Bell and Long John Silver's. Then uh, when I was 37, I decided it's time to move on and uh, accentuate other things in my life. And that's when I uh, got into uh, human resources training and uh, it led me to uh, being an author, a consultant, and uh, it gives me a chance to explore a lot of business topics like uh, retaining employees, uh, motivating employees, building careers, and in this case, uh, uh, my, my most recent book on common sense. Well, what is common sense? It's a great question. I've, I've, I've played with this, and I've got it down to just a few words. But uh, common sense is the ability to solve problems with logic rather than specialized learning. Uh, you know, you can think your way through answers, or you can... Uh, go get your MBA for five years and, uh, and get your education in it. Now, the best combination you got out there is having both common sense and a strong education. But if you've got to have one of the two, I'll take common sense every time. It's just the ability to look at a problem and analyze it and come up with solutions without having a lot of specialized training. Well, that... Uh that, that's a good explanation, but a lot of people say, well, of course I have that. But it, it, certainly in my experience, uh, it's not the case. So um, how, how does one determine that they have common sense and all of that that you're talking about? Well, you brought up a, you brought up a great point. Uh, common sense is what we have and the other guy doesn't. Uh, you know, as you, as you watch the political debates going on right now, you'll see this a lot. You'll see two people disagree, and uh, the way you win the argument is to say, well, of course I'm right. It's only common sense. Uh, the way you determine it is, I guess, through your track record. Uh, your ability when you're faced with a problem 
to think it through as opposed to uh, uh, reach for the books or hire a specialist. And again, I don't want to make it sound like uh, I'm down on the education. I, I am not. But let me give you a good example of this where having both is, is, uh, is very useful. Um, we look at, uh, uh, we look at uh, the president having dinner at the White House. And, of course, uh, we need to make sure that he doesn't chow down on poison food. Well, the Secret Service is responsible for seeing to it that that food is uh, wholesome and not, not poisonous. Well, how do they do that? You first think, well, gosh, I bet they do background checks on all the suppliers. They inspect uh, plants. They uh, have people in the kitchen looking at how everything is handled. Uh, and, and they have machines that food comes in, checks for poison and radiation. Um, and they, they, the Secret Service has the ability to do that. They have in-depth knowledge on that. But that's not how they solve the problem. The way they solve the problem is once a week when they go by the president's groceries, uh, two agents just get the car and randomly select a, a grocery store in Washington, D.C. So if you wanted to uh, poison the president, you would have to poison all the food in every grocery store within 100 miles of Washington, D.C. That's, uh, that's an example of when you have the uh, education ability to solve complex problems, but you don't need to use it. You just uh, use some good old-fashioned common sense uh, to, to reach the conclusion. Well, you know, we used to be a nation of having a lot of uh, tinkerers and people who looked at a problem um, and came up with a solution. Do you think we have that today? Oh, I think we do. I think we just uh, we we tend to glorify uh, um, certificates and glorify diplomas and such, where we don't give credit to some of the uh, uh, easy way we solve. Problems. I think we've got some great tinkers out there, and again, they're also brilliant people with educational background. I give you this. This to me is one of the great discoveries of this of this century, and that's artificial hearts. For so long, you know, we've we've tried to have an artificial heart, and that has not worked out real well. Because uh, an artificial heart, you know, it has to beat, and it beats about three million times a month. And you just can't design a machine that will hold up to that kind of uh, uh, wear and tear. And there's no way to squirt some WD-40 up in there or whatnot. And uh, that is really perplexed scientists. Until one day, there's a scientist who thought about it. He says, you know, when uh, why, why are we building hearts that beat? When the, when the Wright brothers uh, designed the airplane, they did build wings that flapped like a bird. They approached it from a different angle. So instead of having an artificial heart that beats, uh, what about one that's a continuous, continuous cycle? Just continuous, uh, uh, the, the, the pump just continuously uh, uh, pumps uh, blood through the system, and there's no beating. It's a very simple machine to build, there's no wear and tear to speak of, and it uh, it, it will revolutionize um, uh, artificial hearts. That's just a good example 
of uh, somebody with great education, but at the same time, they're they're tinkering. Uh, and they're thinking outside the box of, like, why have we always done it that way and we can do it this way? So, yeah, I think we, we're still a nation of tinkers. And I think if you talk to most of the people, they'll all talk about all these, all these things they've invented and problems that they solved around the house without any uh, uh, construction knowledge whatsoever. But, uh, you know, give me a roll of duct tape and a can of WD-40 and I can conquer the world. You know, um, I've had a lot of guests on my program, but uh, uh, you're the fir first one that's really uh, uh, pinked my uh, interest like this because you're giving examples. What's your book about? Well, it is about the subject of common sense, and the, the subtitle is the best way to describe it. It's The title of the book is Common Sense, Get It, Use It, and Teach It in the Workplace. So the book uh, identifies what common sense is, but more importantly, uh, it, uh, it's not one of these things, common sense is not one of these things you either have or don't have. It can be developed. It can be learned. It can be, uh, it can, it can be uh, enhanced. And we talk several different ways of doing that, and they're painless ways uh, to practice logic. Uh, one of the simplest ways or most fun ways is, uh, frankly, is to play poker. Uh, another way is to do it to play Sudoku's. But uh, another way you can do it to formalize in your company is just uh, is just have conversations. Have, uh, uh, have a mentor assigned to different people where you just talk through situations. How could we have done that differently? How can we solve this problem? Or another one that's, that's a lot of fun, uh, get your team together and... Uh, and try to solve a problem you know nothing about. For instance, I was in the restaurant business for many years. I would uh, suggest you throw it uh, to your team, okay, um, the president has declared that he wants us to send a woman to Mars and return her safely within a decade. How are we going to go about doing that? We know nothing about aerospace or astronomy or anything, but you'll find you get the group together, and you start talking about it, you'll start coming up with, okay, first we need to do this, and then we need to do this, we need to do this. You'd be shocked if you get a group of about 10 people together, how thorough you could address that problem. And it's purely through common sense. It has nothing to do with any specialized education. Hmm. Let me go back because you, you piqued my interest. How, how do you learn common sense playing poker? A lot of our audience does, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, it's uh, it comes through gut instinct. You play enough of it, and uh, you learn. You know, you've got uh, one pair, and uh, or two. You have two pair, and the other guy. Uh, you're trying to guess what he has, and you try to figure out. Well, where does this hand stand in the scheme of things? And what are the odds if I draw two cards that I'll finish this full house or whatnot? You do enough of it, and you start developing uh, what. Other people think it's luck. It's not. It's logic of learning what's uh, what uh, what's what are the probabilities of something happening next. And the great thing about learning common sense through poker is uh, you've considered a training program and uh, check with your accountant on this. But I bet you could uh, justify a trip to Las Vegas every once in a while and call it a training <laughs> program. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. 
The name of your book again, because we have to move on to our next guest, but I, I want you to come back and talk some more another time. But uh, the name of your sure, book... Sure, I'd love to. Common Sense, Get It, Use It, and Teach It in the Workplace. Okay. Can I tell you the great line from the Rock Hudson, Gina Lola Brigida movie, Come September? He says to her... Yeah. Uh, uh, he says to her... Be logical. And she replies, I, I don't have to be logical. I'm Italian. So uh, you have to think about that one. But uh, being Italian-American, I, I always like that line. But uh, uh, you well, certainly have given us more. I'm sorry? Well, let's say one of the problems we have in common sense is we tend to overthink some things. It might surprise us how much we really do know. And sometimes the best thing to do is just stop thinking and act, and you'd be surprised how often you're going to be right. Well, that's what they say sometimes when a baseball player is in a slump. Stop thinking, just to act. But come again, huh? Because we'd love to have you. Be delighted. Enjoy talking with you. Same here. Our next guest is Bernie Schulman. I a founder of tech startup Think Magic. He talks about the pros and cons of seeking venture capital. Welcome to the program, and I hope I've uh, pronounced your uh, last name correctly. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's say good enough. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No, it's not good enough. With a name like Mazzella, who's always been uh, Mazzola and a few other things, uh, how do you pronounce your name, last name? Um, sure now. It's German. Schonauer. Yeah. Uh, my apologies. Um, uh, I, I, I kind of make this program somewhat informal and not as uh, polished as others, but uh, we hope that we get across our message. Uh, we always ask our guests to say a little bit about themselves and uh, their background first before we talk about anything else. So the floor is yours. Sure, thank you. I um I grew up in Germany, came to America uh, about uh, 18 years ago to um after after doing engineering in Germany, I um became a PhD student at MIT. And um after graduating there in 2000, I co-founded Thing Magic um together with four fellow students from MIT. We um you know, ran the company uh for we bootstrapped it for 5 years then took in significant venture capital and um, ran it for another five years and then finally sold it to a company by the name of Trimble Navigation, a public technology company that was um, a little over three years ago. And since then I have been um, working for Trimble and writing about the experience in, in this book, uh, The Tech Entrepreneur's Survival Guide, which was published last week. Ah, congratulations. Um, but first, what did your company do? Thing Magic um, specializes in uh, what's known as um, radio frequency identification readers. Uh, the best way to describe it is, you know, your your modern um, times office key is typically a, you know, an embedded RFID tag that lets you wirelessly open a door. Um, we do similar technology, but it's a lot longer range. Um, the technology was developed for um, the retail sector, uh, notably Walmart, 
um, that wanted to put it on all products so they could track um, products in the supply chain. Well, I've been writing about that for the last uh, five to nine years, and it's amazing uh, uh, how things have really uh, 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 exploded in that particular area. But we're here to talk about venture capital, about technology, et cetera. I labeled it the pros and cons because uh, our audience, um, uh, uh, when they think about venture capital, uh, they think about all the pros and seldom think about the cons. But uh, I'm going to leave the floor open to you and ask you first, what's your view and how do you come to this and anything else you want to say? <laughs> so, you know, it's, um, it's easy to um, not like uh, venture capitalists. I think um, everybody who has engaged with them at some point you know, has you know, a few negative things to say, whether it's the fact that they never even returned their phone calls or, <laughs> or they um, rejected or didn't put in money um, or they put in money and then um, you know, all hell breaks, breaks loose after that. Um, but I think the first thing to to say and to to be very clear about is that you know, venture capitalists are not bad people. You know, they they themselves operate under a lot of pressures, and um, sometimes those pressures come out you know the wrong way. But at the end of the day, they they are a very important um, stakeholder in the um, venture creation process, and um, you know. America stands out um, as a, as an entrepreneurial um, nation, uh, not to a you know to a, to a large extent because of this um, culture of um, venture capitalist venture capital investments. Um, so you know before we say anything negative about them, I think we have to recognize that um, they fulfill a very very important role, um, and and many of them are very very nice people. Um, that said, then the you know, the question of whether or not um, a young venture should go down the venture capital path, uh, there is definitely uh, you know, many drawbacks that um, you you would want to keep in mind before you sign um, on on a, a funding document and basically um, sign away a, a portion of your um, company. Um, the the one that's I think easiest overlooked is uh, the fact that a venture capital investment really changes the dynamic and the um, um, nature of of a company. Right? It's not that thing that you do um, to you know, get to a, a, you know, a few difficult months, um, like a ba- bank loan would be, where you know, then you send, pay back the money and um, you're essentially uh, where you started off from. A venture capital investment really changes the dynamic, um, and the reason is not so much that that um, with the investment you dilute your ownership. Of course, that happens too. the The reason is more what's what's known as um, liquidation preferences. You know, the fact that that venture capitalist gets the investment back, and oftentimes a multiple of that investment before anyone else gets anything. So that that little um, detail is often overlooked when you know, young startup teams um, engage with VCs, and um, and yet it has such fundam- you know, such important consequences for the the startup down the road. 
You're doing an excellent job. Please continue. You don't need me. <laughs> so, yeah, in, in summary, I, I, I do think that, um, you yeah, they they do good good things, um, but um, but you want to be careful uh, and figure out if if it's really the right thing for your company. Well, um, um, you, you sometimes need venture capital to to grow, um, and you, you and you. Uh, but as venture capitalists uh, say, you also need their expertise. You, usually. Um, uh, as one venture capitalist once said, um, what you, you're not really getting from me, what you're really getting besides money, is my expertise, my contacts, my and and that of uh, the, the people we work together, which I, I think is sometimes undersold in um, in the negotiations. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I I haven't. Seen myself, um, you know, I have found that in my own experience that you know when you reach these crossroads where you know, you would really need an introduction or uh, you know someone put in a good word for you, um, and if you're in a difficult spot, um, I haven't had the experience that the, the VC comes in and says, "Sure, I'll fix that for you," um, but you know, I have a I have a limited you know number of experiences. So I, I do think it's possible, and especially in um, venture capital centers like Silicon Valley, um, I can definitely see how, how there is you know, enough critical mass and enough people know each other so that that kind of effect could come in. Personally, I, I have not enjoyed that kind of <laughs> situation. Well, well, let me ask you, what, what brought you to, to writing this, this book? The, I started writing in um, the beginning of 2010, early 2010, which was right about the time when we decided that it was time to sell the company. And um, following that decision, the company went, went a. It took still it took a, a, quite a while to to get a deal done. Um, and b, that period was one of the most turbulent in the li- life cycle of the company. So, the 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 notion of a you know, sort of stack of cash that's about to um, to be um, distributed. Um, that, in my experience, doesn't bring out the best in people. And um, it is it was that year that 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 experience and some of the anxiety of that um, um, of that year that that prompted me to start writing down um, notes. Um, and then later, I started to translate that into something that's. You know, a more useful document that um, that can help the next guy um, to get through these kinds of um, experiences and turmoils um, better than I did. Um, I wish I had had my book, but when when we started Thingmatic and when we finally exited it. Well, uh, let me just uh, go back one minute. Uh, one thing uh, people always advise is when you start a company, have an exit strategy always in mind. Did you have one when you started out, or uh, did the venture capitalists provide that, and do you discuss that in your book? We, we did 
did not when we started, um, but we were unusual. We started with a very broad agenda. We essentially want, just wanted to do technology, and we didn't you know, start with a particular business plan or with a particular idea that we thought we would pursue, and we wanted to create a lifestyle venture. So, so this was five guys um, right out of school who um, you know, thought it was the coolest thing to just do a company and run it for the rest of their lives. Of course, then you know, reality kicks in, and um, you know, lives change, um, interests change, and um, before you know it, that, that initial um, enthusiasm to stay together and build something great um, you know, slowly starts um, breaking away. Um, so by the time we actually did get acquired, we only had only two of the five founders were still with the company. Um, so, yeah, I do think you know, running a startup, um, it's best to maintain a healthy mix of um, a good plan and maybe even an exit potential exit strategy, but also the ability and the willingness to adjust that and say, oh, look, it's going to take another three years so you know that's if that's what it takes then we'll have to you know do it um, for another three years or we have to change our business model this is not working so i think it's good to have an exit strategy i don't think it is good to um sort of stick to it um by all means um better you know maintain a little bit of flexibility and and then get the best outcome for the for the company in the particular time, because you know one thing you learn uh, over you know through the adventure is that um, even if you do everything right, even if you were you know invented the greatest technology, um, at the end of the day, how successful you are and what works is really a factor of so many other um, influences that are completely out of your control. So if you don't maintain an ability to um, react to those external forces, um, it's very hard to bring it to a good conclusion. Well, now that you've written the book, what are you going to do next? I, I uh, look around. Um, I, I definitely uh, want to do something entrepreneurial again. I'm not sure whether we'll start uh, at zero, like we did last time, I think um, it's very possible that I join a company that's small but um, on its way. I'm not sure if I have the energy in me to to do um, to do it all over from from day zero. And the name of your book again? The name of the book is The Tech Entrepreneur's Survival Guide: How to Bootstrap Your Startup, Lead Through Tough Times, and Cash In for Success. And who's the publisher? The publisher is McCraw Hill. Okay. So and if you, you can get it on Amazon, I guess. And uh, you can get it on Amazon. You can also go to my uh, web page, which is uh, the easiest way to get to my web page is to um, type in bound.us. So that's my first name, B E R N D. dot U S. Ah. Uh, and say it again. Uh, is it boy Edward Robert Nancy? Uh, say it David. again because this is radio. Boy Edward Robert Nancy David. Ah, dot dot U. Yeah. All right. 
Um, you've been amazingly forthright. Uh, as a writer, I'll ask you one more question. You were born in Germany. Uh, do, do, do you write in English or do you write in German first? I write in English. Okay. <laughs> uh, I teach a writing course, and I always ask that question. But um, uh, you've been a terrific guest, and when you get your new uh, get your new venture, I hope you come back and talk with us. Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it was a great pleasure. It was a great pleasure for us too. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Our our next guest is someone I've worked with in the past, Diana Ennen, E N N E N, and she's going to discuss whether um, uh, the pros and cons of hiring a PR professional to help in a small business marketing effort. Diana, welcome to the program. Oh, I haven't clicked on and let your... Wait a second, Diane. Now you're on. Welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. I so appreciate it. Well, we appreciate that you took the time. Diana, we always ask our guests to say a little bit about themselves. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, again, I'm Diana Ennen of Virtual Word Publishing. I've been an entrepreneur since 1985, back when you said home business, and they were like, what? You know. So I've kind of been a trailblazer all these years. Um, I'm specialized today in mainly marketing, uh, PR and marketing. Um, I've also written several books on how to become a virtual assistant. And I just love helping entrepreneurs and small businesses and you know, just anybody really get the most out of what they do um, so they can be successful, whether it's with their book or with their products or with their services, so we can, you know, uh, get them the goals that they're hoping to accomplish. Well, um, and I'm in sunny uh, Florida. <laughs> oh, lucky you. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially in the deep freeze. I just got my... Uh, my uh, energy bill for the winter and oh, it shocked no. me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But um, l- l- let's talk about that. M- many um, n- new companies and even uh, companies four, five, or six years old, um, they look at PR and they say, uh, well, the main, main question is, how do you show your uh, uh, return on investment? But uh, first, let's talk about why should someone uh, hire a, a, a professional like you or someone else to help them market their product, their service? Right, right. Well, I, I think it's so important because, you know, a lot of times they think, okay, I can do this myself. And, and you know, I do encourage if you think you can do it, you know, that that's great. Maybe you just need to hire somebody to get you started or to, you know, to help you get your message out there. But a professional, um, somebody that works with marketing such as myself, some of the things that we can do with a small business um, is to just help them. One of the mistakes I see so often is that they're just marketing and they're just throwing out there and they're just hoping it works, you know, or they're doing this and then the next week they're doing something else, you know, and nothing is consistent in their marketing. And so when we come in, we kind of say, okay, you know, tell us your goals. Let us know about your product or your book or your services. You know, um, who is your target audience? So many times, 
you know, and I've heard this so many, you know, so often. They're like, everybody, you know, but we want to define who who really would be interested in this product. Um, the other thing that we can do is help them with their message. Um, so often, you know, with you know, I'm an author myself, so you know, I love to write, and it's by just fine tuning. You know, whether they're sound bites when they're networking and they're, you know, telling this is what my company does or this is what our products does or helping them with a press release or, or uh, even like writing articles or their blog posting, um, by putting the right words in there and putting the right keywords in there and really talking to the person that's going to be, you know, buying or signing up with them, it makes all the difference, you know, in their success. Um, plus, I think the other thing that, that PR people do, is, like myself, is we try to go full circle. So we try to, in everything we do, what can we do to get the most from it? So if we're going to write a pitch for you and send it out and get you some you know, radio spots or something, you know, can we also take that article that we used and send it out to bloggers? Can we add some social media updates from it? You know? And so you get more out of everything that you do. So I think that's some of the good stuff that we can, you know, help with. Well, one of the things that I've noticed is a lot of companies simply don't know what the message should be right. and really don't know uh, what is their, uh, to use a Harvard business term, their value proposition. Exactly. Do you find that? Uh, and it's so true. And, you know, a lot of times whether it's just that they're just so close to it um, and they just can't see it, or whether they just don't know the the right language that would connect with the people, you know, who would be interested in buying it. But they miss that, you know. And it's so, you know, to us, it's so obvious is that you know you're you're saying this, but you're you know your maybe your website isn't really um, connecting with it, or you're not, you know, you think you're saying it, but you're really not, and you're not reaching that market. And when you're not reaching your target market in PR. Um, they're not going to be buying or they're not going to be, you know, telling their friends, you know, that, hey, I just, you know, I just found this great thing, you know, or I just read this fantastic book, you know, so you got to check in, you know, so I think that's it. You know, they just don't, they don't know what they don't know. And that's, it's, it's always exciting. That's, I think, one of the reasons that I do so well in PR is that it just, it fits my personality. I'm kind of like one of them bubbly type people anyway, you know, and, and no I love it. I love it when we can score, you know, a, a great, you know, segment like being on here is, is a, you know, great score. It's a great opportunity, um, you know, and, and I pass that on to my clients. It's like, yay, we did it, you know, and so I think that's, that helps too. You want to work with somebody that you can have fun with. Um, that ha- and that can share that passion with you because it's your business, and usually, in, you know, you want to be no matter what kind of business you you have to believe in it, and you know, so you just need to be able to to let others know why they should also believe in it. Well, but there's another side to that, which sure. is, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know the cons. <laughs> well, no, I don't want to go there yet. I just want to okay. talk about. The fact that um, so many times I'll see a press release come across my desk that begins, the uh, ABC Widget Company, the world's greatest widget company, today announced. And I sit there and I say, you you know, duh. Um, uh, You know, I I believe uh, I was taught that the first, uh, you should catch the reader in the first five or six words. 
and starting off that way to me is not the best way of doing it. But when you get back, go back to the PR people, they say, well, that's because that's the way the client wants it. And Ooh. how do you deal? Um, uh, uh, shouldn't a small business um, defer to the experts and Absolutely. oftentimes don't? Yeah, absolutely. But I think a lot of times what we can do is just when we show them the reasoning why or we're able to just show them, because I totally agree with you too, is if you can't capture them in the title of the press release or in those first few paragraphs um, or those first few you know words or that first sentence, they're not going to read any further. So you might as well not even have written the release or sent it out. Um, uh-huh. But when a when a client will, you know, trust or, you know, when they're working with someone in PR, um, they really want to um, kind of defer to them because we do know. But what I always try to do is try to just show my clients um, the reasoning behind it. Um, So this would work better by putting it this way. It's going to be so much better than this way, and this is the reason why. You know, and a lot of times when they can see that, it makes a, a, you know, a big difference. Um, you know, and the other thing I think in press releases, one of the biggest mistakes I see in, you know, when someone will write a press release and, you know, it could be a great press release, but they forget the call to action paragraph. They forgot to tell them, uh. go to my website or to, you know, to buy my product or something. And it's like, oh, darn, you missed it, you know? <laughs> Nobody knows what to do now, you know? <laughs> uh, I'm so glad you brought that up because... It, it's such an important thing. They send out things without a uh, call right. to action, or they don't even have it on their website, or if they send out a, a, a mail piece. It's it's really one of the uh, major things that, oh, yeah. that I see uh, talking to small businesses is they no, don't have that call to action. Right, right. And, and you know, you really want to direct, and, you know, it can be different call to actions. You know, you know, you... You know, you want them to buy your book or, you know, to sign up for your newsletter. Um, but if you don't tell them that, they are not sure, what, you know, which, which way you want them to go. You know, so I think that's, you know, really important to, to make sure that, that you include it. You know, and a lot of times I see another kind of mistake that they make is they just don't have any of, like, the appropriate keywords, and then they send it out online, and it's really hard to find because you haven't, you know, put in those phrases, you know. So by just little tweaks like that when you're working with someone like me, um, we can see that and we can say, okay, we just need to, you know, fine-tune this a little bit or let us do this, and I think you're going to see better results. Hope so at So least. what are the con? <laughs> I'm sorry? I hope so at uh, least, uh, right? <laughs> so, well, we well, hope so. Yeah, I think one of the cons is is when you're when you're hiring someone to work with you for you know publicity and you're a small business, kind of know that you have to be we're going to be committed when you hire us we're going to be committed to get to get out there and to you know to you know really make you shine but you also need to be committed as well because you know a lot of times we might have an interview book for you or we might have you know somebody waiting for your article and it's really critical that you take the time to do whatever is required because uh, what happens is if you don't act promptly you can lose out on some of those opportunities so that's one of the things is just you know you just have to realize that I'm paying somebody to help with my PR so I have to kind of like um, make sure that I work with them so that we can get the best results. 
And the other thing I always say, some of the cons is kind of know that, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, you can't hire somebody and in a week, you know, that they got it all, you know. So just kind of know that um, it, it can be, you know, a long-term thing. We want to work with somebody that, you know, is going to be with us, you know, a couple months or my, my best clients are with me for years because we want to grow them and we want to kind of tag along with them and see their success. Um, but just know that in the beginning, you know, it takes time to build the relationships. It takes time to write that press. It takes time to maybe get their media kit together. So, you know, I think when you know that going in, that can help you um, in, in um, you know, find, working with someone. Well, um, we have uh, – I'd like you to stay on. We, our, our next guest has a, a very interesting uh, um, uh, topic to discuss is uh, mm-hmm. why college graduates uh, don't come to your, your, your company. But I want to t- – uh, Tell you, uh, tell you what's ha- what happened actually to me uh, this past week, which is I have a young turn intern who just graduated college, oh. and uh, uh, I'm trying to f- help her find a job. And uh, uh, it, it was interesting. Uh, uh, her resume never doesn't really uh, speak to oh. uh, how good she is, and uh, uh, I, who've been so experienced. Did not realize that I, I, I was helping her, and the college was helping her with a resume, and we weren't doing a good job at it. Um, but uh, I, if you don't, ha- if you have the time, I'd love for you to st- uh, stay on and just listen in and chime in. Okay. Sure, I'd love to. Okay. Our next guest is Kevin Paul Scott, who has spoken to leaders on six continents uh, and more than a hundred companies and is an adventurer and a past corporate communication executives, and he talks today as to why college graduates turn down jobs. Kevin, welcome to the program. Hey, it's great to be with you this evening. Well, um, I, 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 I kept our PR guru on with it, so he's going to listen in. But as we ask every guest, and I, I read your biography, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself before we talk about anything else. Yeah, absolutely. I have a, a background in uh, nonprofit and uh, entrepreneurial ventures. Uh, right out of uh, university, started a program for college students to do leadership and service programs abroad. And so took students from a number of universities, and we would go to South Africa on, you know, we'd hear Nelson Mandela's cellmate talk about visionary leadership and volunteer in communities of people live off a dollar a day. And so while that experience was really unique for the students, it also gave them an opportunity to tell compelling stories when they applied for jobs and saw employment after school. Um, And now I run a company called Addo. We uh, help organizations and brands uh, more effectively engage key constituencies, whether those are customers or future employees and so what's interesting around this topic is those worlds collide a little bit because I have a background working with students uh, but now a lot of times it's on the flip side and helping employee employers attract good future employees and then appropriately engage them 
Why you, you, you sent in a provocative thing. Why do uh, young people not choose a company? Well, you know what's interesting is uh, UNC Keenan Flagler School of Business had a study last year where they said that the, for 65% of, of millennials, of young people, the number one thing they're looking for in employment is the opportunity for personal development. And uh, it's really a shift where uh, a previous generation, when they sought employment, they would be looking for a, a salary and a vacation package or maybe benefits. And, and a newer generation, is their values are on a little bit of a, a different thing, and, and many companies are slow to adapt to what those individuals want. Um, yet a company is, is really self, uh, uh, and, and let's stick with college graduates, um, uh, kind of selfish. They want people uh, to come in, learn how they do things, and um, uh, hopefully help the company grow. Uh, yet you're saying that um, on, the, on the other side, if I heard you right, um, uh, the uh, college graduates today are less concerned about the company and more concerned about themselves and how they're going to grow. Am, am I reading yeah, that? You're, yeah, you're exactly right. And it's not that either one is necessarily right. But but I think the good news is for, for companies is a lot of the things that, that recent don't we're not talking about um, initiatives that are necessarily cost for businesses, but they do require them to and to to change a little bit from a model of the past. And um, you know, as millennials and recent college these recent college graduates take up a larger percentage of the workforce, it's going to be vital for these companies to adapt. Well, that's true, and uh, I'm uh, I'm quite a bit older than this college graduate, um, uh, 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 and uh, I grew up when uh, uh, there were uh, companies had uh, several tiers, and in, in recent years we know that companies have kind of flattened out. But um, how can a comp- company um, provide? Uh, growth and learning if the the ability to move up the ladder is really uh, much more constricted than it was uh, even 20 years ago. Yeah, that's a, it's a very fair question. I think what, what these uh, recent graduates, these young people want most, uh, and whether this is good or bad, it's the reality of the situation, is they want a compelling story to tell. And, you know, the expert that you, you just had on, it's it so one of the same things that someone who's seeking a, a publicist, uh, the story that they want to tell, these, these recent graduates, they want to do a similar thing. They want, you know, we're working with a company right now who is has a, a, a program for young leaders, high potential leaders in their organization, to apply for a leadership development program that they do uh, out of the country. And what it really is about for a lot of these uh, individuals is they want to say, hey, my company sent me to fill in the blank, or my company, you know, did this for me. And and those students are not these students anymore, but those individuals love 
having a story to tell. And if employers do it correctly, uh, these millennials can really be a mouthpiece for their organization uh, in an incredible way, like I said, if done correctly. Well, um, in my uh, in my efforts, uh, you might have heard to help my intern. I, I've been talking to a lot of uh, corporate um, people. I, I, I've been running my own company for a long time. It's, it's been almost 20 years since I've worked in a corporation, and uh, but they say that part of the problem is that the uh, graduates coming come in have uh, very poor skills and very high expectations. How do you m- meld the two? It's a great question. Um, first of all, you're exactly right. There, There is uh, what we would still say is a high rate of unemployment and an even higher rate of underemployment of recent college graduates. However, there are a lot of uh, job listings that are sitting out there and uh, companies and corporations who can't find qualified candidates to fill, fill them. And what they're basically communicating is they don't feel that these these individuals are coming out adequately prepared uh, and ill-equipped to meet the needs of these organizations. And so the, the first thing I think that it's important is for these students, while they are in school, to pursue opportunities that help them get hands-on experience. Uh, the leadership program that, that we run with back-to-high school students, our tagline is Impact Through Action. And we, we challenge each of the students to create a service project in their area because it gives them a chance to actually do, create, or build something. And a lot of students are, are graduating from schools with great GPAs that have never done anything in their lives. And, um, and that's something that, that employers, I think, are frustrated by. And, and to add on to that, those students then have high expectations of what they want to earn or what they think they're qualified to do, and there is definitely a disconnect. Yes, it's it's one that um, uh, I, I worry about. Um, I, I teach um, uh, at various colleges, taught and teach, uh, and and the, the, the disparity between um, the two uh, always strikes me. Um, let me ask you uh, a, a different que- a question. Uh, I noticed that a, a lot of uh, corporations, uh, well, well, since we're a small business pro- uh, program, let, let's stick with small business. Uh, in my, my talking to small business uh, people, their frustration, uh, and it's almost the same question, is that um, they can't give the types of opportunities that you're talking about, but but when they make a hire, a poor hire has a disproportionate impact on them than on a larger corporation. Uh, how can they better then Go ahead. You, no, you're I, my guest. Just, well, no, no, sorry. But to add, I think I think if the small business owner is creative, and and we run a small business. A lot of times when when a recent grad says they want opportunity for personal development, it could be as simple as I want to spend time with the owner or I want a chance to be mentored. So maybe once a month it's 
it's me having lunch with that owner and them just kind of pouring in and investing into my life. So I, I think it, it's creatively thinking about ways that don't necessarily require uh, large financial resources or, um, you know, the abilities that large corporations have. And, in fact, in some ways I think small business owners have a unique opportunity to to more effectively engage those employees. But uh, to the point you were headed to, I think the downside to that is a, a new hire is such a larger percentage of, of your team that the wrong hire can have detrimental – it can be detrimental to your organization. Uh, absolutely. I'm going to – Diana's been patiently uh, – Diana's been patiently listening. Diana, you're a small business. Have you, do you hire college graduates, and what's your experience? Um, yeah, I have worked with, with college graduates before, and I find that it's – and I, I actually um, – we we do some training in colleges as well with our VA program, um, but what I find it's really interesting is is just how um, when you do have the right connection, how beneficial it can be, and how eager they can be. And I loved his point where he just said, sometimes it's just the little things that you can add, you know, that that they're looking for, and so just the communication with them, and you know what they're looking for, and what you can do can really solve a lot of the the issues and make everybody, you know, really benefit. Um, so it doesn't have to be like all the extra money or all this. They might be looking for something. And, you know, for me it was, you know, just additional training and additional mentoring that they wanted. And, and by, you know, offering a little bit more in that way, um, they, were, they were satisfied because they could use it more for other clients and for other things. And so I think it's a great, great, you know, thing. And, and I, I love to see where they are today. I love that the opportunities for them, you know, they can, you know, with LinkedIn and the different ways that they can find positions now, you know, it's just, it's, I think it's opened up a lot. Well, uh, uh, Kevin, uh, uh, there's been much talk about mentoring um, and uh, the idea that corporations should assign mentors. Uh, can you address that issue, and do you think that's a good selling point? You know, I think mentorship is one of the most effective ways to teach people Again, I think the challenge is it's best when it's done um, when it's not overly forced. You know, I, I have so many uh, uh, friends who are, are get out of school and they get their first job and then they're telling me about their mentor, and it really is just a pairing program where they pair them with somebody older to say that they have a mentor. And a lot of times that the older individual they're paired with may be cynical and burn out and tired of their job. and. <laughs> doesn't serve to be a very good mentor. So if done if done well, it's one of the most effective tools, but if just done for the sake of doing it, I'm not sure uh, just by giving a title if it's very effective. Oh, uh, Kevin, uh, the name of your firm, and do you, do you have a book out or something that people can, um, uh, the call to action, as uh, Diana said earlier in the program? Yeah, our our firm is called Addo. It's A D D O. It's the Latin word for inspire. It's the Addo Institute, and um, my book is Eight Essential Exchanges, and it really is geared at that young professional, the recent college grad, up to maybe a thirty-five, forty-year-old who's struggling with uh, 
making decisions to go from a good place to a better place. And it's available at all major retailers. And uh, right now there's a, actually a code on Amazon. If you say, if you type in the code graduate, um, it's uh, on sale for $14 for 2014 grads. And even if you're not, I get the discount. Oh, you, you cut out. We didn't hear the last part. Oh, sorry. There's a code on Amazon. Uh, Amazon's running a special with the publisher. It's graduate. Uh, just the word graduate gets you uh, the book for $14 for 2014 grad gifts. Oh, and if people want to re- reach you directly? Yeah, the best way is uh, through our website. It's addoinstitute.com. Uh, Kevin will you, will you spell it out? This is radio. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Addo, A-D-D-O, and then the word institute. Addoinstitute.com. And my name's Kevin. Or you can go to my personal website, which is just my name, KevinPaulScott.com. K-E-V-I-N-P-A-U-L-S-C-O-T-T.com. I'd love to connect with uh, your listeners. Uh, and Diana, uh, what's your, the name? Of, I didn't even ask you the name of your company. <laughs> well, my company is Virtual Word Publishing, and that's V I R T U A L Word W O R D Publishing dot com. Okay. Kevin, you, you can, get the last word. Uh, what advice would you give a small business faced with trying to hire a uh, graduate? Yeah, I, I would just uh, encourage that business to uh, to in, to engage employees on on a level that shows that you have a vested interest in their long term success. You're you're committed to developing developing them as a person, and then when you do that, in return, you should have high expectations from them, and um, it, it's reasonable to to tell them they're going to have to work their way up. So that's great and. And then I tell the small business owner to hire someone like Diane because uh, that's very valuable. <laughs> I like Diane, that. <laughs> uh, Diane, uh, Diana, uh, I, I said last word to Kevin, but I'm going to give it to you. Uh, uh, a small business thinking about PR, what should be the, the first thing they should think about? Um. Oh, what I think the first thing that they should think about is just their goals and what they want to accomplish, and just just rest assured that it you know when you find the right person, it's really going to go well. So you know, have fun with it. Well, thank you both for for coming on tonight. I hope our audience enjoyed it as much as I did, because I certainly learned a lot. Thank you both for for being with us. It's great to be with you. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience and profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. 
We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.